We're in this church-wide campaign called The Master's Design, wherein we take a closer look at our family relationships. And we want to answer questions that affect our families day to day. Questions like, how should the husband and the wife make decisions when they disagree? How should parents teach and discipline their children? Well, how much independence should teenagers have? These are all practical questions that affect our day-to-day -day life every day in our homes. Now, the reality is we all have some kind of answers to, the que to those questions already. But the question is, are those answers that we have good and right, or are we headed in the wrong direction? And so in this campaign, we want to cross-examine those assumptions that we have in light of what God actually says about the way He designed the family to flourish. Now, in the past weeks, we've looked at the marriage between the husband and the wife. We've also looked at the role of children. And on the flip side of that, today we'll look at the role of the parents. What exactly is the role of the parents? Now, today we'll talk about the three roles of parents that are indicated in our passage, Deuteronomy 6. Now, let me read that passage for you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in, and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Now, in this passage, we see that God has entrusted some key responsibilities and roles to the parents. There's at least three that we can see here. And that is the parent is said to be a minister, an educator, and a storyteller. A minister, an educator, and a storyteller. Now, good parents know there are more to these three roles. But for now, let's just focus on these three because these are absolutely essential so that we can be good parents. So first of all, the parent is said to be a minister. Now, the passage we just read, the book of Deuteronomy, is basically the last sermon message preached by Moses to Israel. And the background here is Israel is about to enter the promised land. But Moses knows he won't be able to join in. And so he gives these last few words to remind them about what it means to be God's people. Now, when you know these are your last words, you don't talk about the weather, right? You want to talk about the most crucial things. And so Moses is giving them the most crucial things that they need to remember as God's people and obey. And so what does Moses say to parents that are most crucial? Well, he says, first of all, that you shall love the Lord your God with your all. You're supposed to love God with every fiber of your being. And this is the numero uno Commandment for every single Christian, for every single believer. You should love the Lord your God with everything that you have. 
But for parents, that great commandment, notice, is attached to this spiritual responsibility that you shall teach your children diligently to do the same, to love God and to obey Him with every fiber of your being. As a parent, to love God means you also cultivate that same love in the hearts of your child. In other words, you're the minister to your children. Now, in the church, you have the pastors and the elders who are ministers primarily responsible for the spiritual health of the church community. And in the home, in the family, that responsibility goes to the parents. The parents, the father and the mother, are ministers who are primarily responsible for the spiritual health of their children. They're the ministers. Now think about it like this. We know that parents are responsible for providing for the needs of their children, especially when they're young, right? And so for, for instance, we, we know that parents should somehow find a way to set food on the table at least three times a day because, you know, our children get hungry. We have to provide for their food, right? Well, what about their spiritual needs? Don't they also get spiritually hungry? Yes. They need spiritual nourishment to survive the day and to endure and, and flourish and grow and mature spiritually. They need it. And well, where else can they get that but from us, their parents? They can only get that from us daily. We as parents are responsible for providing for their needs, especially their spiritual needs. Now, is that easy? No, of course not. Most of us find it difficult just looking after our own spiritual lives, right? But is it necessary? Absolutely. Absolutely. Our children need God above all else. They need God more than health or wealth or their own happiness. What good is it if our children gain the whole world and yet forfeit their own souls? What good is it to have success and happiness if they don't know God, right? They need spiritual nourishment to grow and to know God and love God and serve God. And they need us to provide that for them. Now you may say, I don't know how to do that. I can barely keep up with my own spiritual life. How am I supposed to be a minister to my children? Well, the practical advice is you don't have to do it alone. It's not just the father and the mother. God has designed the church, God has designed the family to be integrated into the life of the church. You're supposed to work together and serve together as believers to nurture your children. And so, you can look for practical help and equipping in your church, perhaps in your life group, through your leaders and pastors. Perhaps you want to connect your child to the kids' ministry or the youth ministry, and you partner with them to disciple your children, right? You give the support that your child and your, the ministry needs so that your child grows spiritually. Now, there are all sorts of ways to get started and to do that, and you can discuss that with, in greater detail with your life group. But the point here is, you as the parent, you're the main minister to your children. Not the Sunday school teacher, not the youth pastor, it's us parents. We're the ones entrusted by God. And we have to find a way 
to teach them, to, 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 to lead them towards God so that they may find their spiritual happiness in Him. Now, does this sound overwhelming? Yeah, probably. But remember, God's not asking you to do this perfectly, only faithfully. God's not expecting, expecting you to be a perfect Christian before you can get started. God's not expecting that, and neither is your children. You just have to do your best, working together with the church, and you make this a priority in your life, and then pray like mad for your children. That's our role as ministers. Now, secondly, apart from a minister, we are also educators of our children. Now, when you think back to the you know, first few days when your child was born, you bring, you bring him or her back from the hospital, back home, and in the first few days, first few months, and perhaps the first few years, you literally have to teach your baby everything that they need to know so that they can live. You have to, you know, you have to teach them how to eat without dying. You teach them how to walk and talk and not to touch electrical outlets, right? You, you have to teach them everything that they needed to know so that they learn how to live and to live well. Well, the passage we read is basically reminding us that parents don't only teach their children how to live well, but how to live well with God, how to live well for God. You're supposed to teach them how to love God with their whole beings and to do that by obedience to His commandments. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, look at this passage. It says here, you shall teach them diligently. And how do you teach them? What are you supposed to teach them? You teach them when you sit in your house, that's in your private life, and when you walk by the way, that's your public life. You're supposed to love God with your private and your public life. What else? You're supposed to love God when you lie down and when you rise. That's your entire waking life. And then you're supposed to teach your children to love God by binding them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So this is about what your hands are doing, outward behavior, and what your eyes are seeing, what your inward sight and thoughts are thinking. So you're supposed to love God inward and outward, right? And you shall teach them what? To write them on the doorposts of your house. That means you apply it in your household and on your gates. That means you apply it to your economic, political, and civic life out there. In other words, we're supposed to teach our children to love God and obey God with their whole life. You want to teach your child to love God with every single nook and cranny of their hearts. Every single aspect of their lives are directed to loving God and obeying Him. You want your child to be affected through and through by the love of God in every single way so that they go into the different aspects of their life and they're constantly asking themselves the question, how does God's love change the way I live here? How should I obey God and, 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 and honor Him right here in this aspect of my life? Right? You're supposed to teach them to do that and you're supposed to teach them what? Diligently. Teach them diligently to love God with their whole lives. Well, how do you teach that? This passage is basically suggesting that the best way to teach your children 
is not the you know formal teaching periods where you sit down you give them the principles and the lessons that's necessary yes but perhaps the more crucial one and perhaps the more overlooked one is the informal teaching times it's the casual conversations it's the random situations that happen as life goes on and that's where you can best teach them how to love god the point is you're supposed to be teaching your children practically right it says teach them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you drive along edsa you start conversations you you you, you are intentional about practically teaching them how to love god right there and there on the spot and the only way to do that of course you know is you have to spend lots and lots of time with your children because that's when the conversations and the situations pop up and when those things happen that's when you as a parent can come alongside them as a teacher as a model as a mentor as a coach as a counselor and you teach them practically realistically how to love god with their life right there and then on the spot so you're teaching them not just during those formal teaching times but also as life happens you're right there and you're teaching them you're showing them the ropes you're modeling it to them you're giving them advice you're correcting them as they go through life so maybe you're eating together right and and you ask them how their day went and and as the conversation goes on maybe sometimes you want to point out a few things to highlight something to be grateful to god about something maybe that illustrates a biblical truth and you want to highlight that or perhaps you ask them about their challenges and as they share maybe from time to time you want to give them sound biblical advice and you want to offer to pray for them to, to learn to surrender those things to god and ask for his guidance and strength or maybe your child needs to make a decision maybe it's choosing a college course or something else as they make that decision you want to come alongside them as a mentor as a counselor teaching them how to make that decision in light of god's wisdom in light of god's truth in light of god's mission or maybe it can be just simple as doing everyday things with them and as you do those things you model to them how you seek to love god with your finances with your relationships with your decisions with your time right the point here is you're trying to teach them how to love god on the spot as life happens as life unfolds through the everyday things you teach and you model and you coach them how to love god that's perhaps the best way that we can fulfill our roles as an educator as a minister in their lives now again does this sound overwhelming yeah you know it, it does but remember god's not asking us to do this perfectly he's not asking for perfect obedience he knows we cannot he's asking for faithfulness faithful obedience so just do your best as a minister as an educator do your best work together with other believers in the church and then pray like mad for your children because at the end of the day it's not about your perfect parenting but it's about god's perfect saving grace and it's in him that we rely on to help us 
parent our children. So parents are ministers and parents are educators. And lastly, parents are storytellers. Now for me, this is the most interesting role and perhaps the most overlooked one. And you can see it right here in this passage. So it says here in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord our God has commanded you? So the picture here in verse 20 is, a son comes to the father and he's asking, what's the meaning of this? In other words, he's saying, Papa, Mama, I see that you're trying your best to obey God, to love God, even though it's hard. And I know that you're teaching me to, towards, the, towards the same path. But why should I? Why should I love God? Why should I obey Him? Why? Now, here's how most parents would answer that question. Most parents would jump straight from verse 20 and they would answer with verse 24. Now, if you read verse 24, it's not here. Verse 24 basically says, we obey because God commanded us to do so. In other words, when your son asks, Papa, Mama, why should I read the Bible? Why should I go to church? Why should I pray? The answer that most parents give is because God said so. Because God said so. That's the answer that most parents give. So when kids ask, why should I obey God's command? The answer that most parents give is because God commanded it. It's another command. Why should I obey God's command? And the answer we give is another command. <laughs> because God said so. Because I said so. Now, maybe, I mean, you know, that's true. That's true, yeah. I mean, verse 24 tells us to answer that way. That's true. But, and maybe to some extent, maybe you'll, you know, you'll get your child's compliance. You'll get, you'll, get, you'll get to change their behavior, maybe. But you know, as well as I do, that that does not change their hearts. It doesn't, right? I mean, even if we do that to ourselves, it doesn't change our hearts. If we just say to ourselves, I have to obey God, I have to love God, or because He's God, or else He'll get me. You know as well as I do, that may change our behavior, but does, that does not change our hearts, right? And neither will it change the hearts of our children. But the astonishing thing is that this passage is saying, when your child asks, why should I obey God's commands? The answer we give is not another command. The answer is you tell them a story. You tell them a story. Parents, you're supposed to tell the gospel story. What's the gospel? The gospel is the story of God breaking into history to save us by grace. Now, of course, remember, this passage comes from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. The gospel that they knew was the only one that they had at the time. It was their exodus from Egypt. And so the father was supposed to tell the story about how they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. But God broke in to history to save them. By what? By signs and wonders, great and grievous. It was the 10 plagues. Now the 10 plagues were essentially, you have to understand, God's judgments on human sin and evil brought down on Egypt. So this is not just, you know, trying to intimidate Pharaoh. These are God's judgments on sin. But wait a minute. If you know your Bible, 
The Israelites, they walk out of Egypt alive. They escape God's judgments. Why? Weren't they also sinful? Yes. How come they escaped from God's judgment? The answer is because God commanded them to slay a lamb and to use the lamb's blood and to put it on the doorposts of their home. So on the night when God's judgment came, as God's judgment came and it saw the blood on the doorposts of their home, God's judgment passed over their homes and it didn't destroy them. They were saved by the blood provided by God. And so here in this passage, it's saying that when a son asks, why should I obey God's commands? The father tells a story. He tells the gospel story that they have. And he says, my son, the reason why we obey these commands, these very commands that I teach you day and night, these very commands that you see that I have written on the doorposts of our home so that you can remember them. Remember, my son, before the law was written on that doorpost, on the doorposts of our home, there was the blood. And because of that blood, my son, God saved us from judgment and we were saved by grace. That's why we obey, my son. It's gratitude. We're not forced into obedience. We're melted into it by His love, by His mercy for us. That's why we obey, my son. That's the meaning behind all these laws and why we want to obey and love Him with our lives. It's gratitude. It's love. And that's how they're supposed to answer it. It's to tell that story so the son understands the meaning behind the commands. But now remember, that's the Old Testament. They didn't understand, you know, how can the blood of a lamb save us from our sins? They didn't know exactly, but all they knew was this was grace. This was mercy from God. But we know that as the New, as the New Testament unfolds, we know just how wonderful this grace and mercy truly is. Because in the New Testament, John the Baptist one day he saw Jesus walking along and things start to click in his head. And here's what he says. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, I get it now. All the lambs that were sacrificed in the past, they didn't really take away the sins that we had. Those lambs were just symbols. Those lambs were just pointing to the Lamb of God, to God Himself, to the Son of God, to Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world, and by His blood, we're saved. He takes on God's judgment. He takes on our death. He saves us through His blood. And so now as Christians, as God's people, you know, when people ask, perhaps it's someone else, or perhaps it's your child that comes and asks us, Papa, Mama, why should I obey God's commands? Why, why should I follow God? Why should I do all these things and sacrifice my Sunday mornings? Why should I do all these things and, and go through all these difficulties just trying to love God? Why? The answer is not just because God said so or else. It's not. Tell them the story. 
talk to them about Jesus. Say to them, my son, my child, these laws are here, but before these laws were here for us, there was God's blood there for us. The blood of Jesus was put on the doorposts of our lives so that God's judgment passes over us because it has fallen on Jesus Christ. He, the Creator, the Almighty, my Lord, He did that for me, and He did that for you. That's why, my son, we can trust Him. That's why I want to spend the rest of my life to love Him, to serve Him, to honor Him. That's why, my son, that's the meaning behind obeying and loving God. So when, for example, when your child is misbehaving, is not doing the things that you want him to do according to God's law, you don't just come and say, do this or else God will get you. No, talk to them also about Jesus. Tell them the story, the great big story of grace, of how God broke into our history to save us by grace through a costly, costly blood. And the point here is, as parents, we're the chief storytellers of our family. We're supposed to tell that story to our sons and daughters. And we have to find ways to nail that story into the doorposts of their lives so that they may be changed, not just outwardly, but from the heart. Now, you know how preachers like me, we, we use uh, excerpts or stories from books and movies and real life testimonies, and we use those stories to nail home a point in our message, right? And that's basically what we do as parents. We're supposed to tell them different kinds of stories and points and, 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 and clips so that we can nail the story of the gospel into the hearts of our children and even in our own hearts. You know, the renowned comedian Dave Chappelle, maybe you've seen his stand-up comedy. When he was accepting his award, he, he tells this experience that he had, that as a little boy, there was a real oral tradition in their homes. Even as a young boy, he understood what a griot was. Now, a griot was a person in Africa who was in charge of collecting and remembering all the stories of the village. And he, he, he's supposed to make sure to pass it on to the next generation so that the stories live on to the next generation. And Dave Chappelle says that even as a young kid, his mother would make sure to, to, make sure to teach him that he was a griot. And, he, and, her, and his mother would fill him with all kinds of stories about the, about the black life. So Dave Chappelle grew up, even from an early age, understanding the context that he was living in. Parents, that's what we are, right? We're griots. We're griots of God's grace. We collect and remember those stories of how God showed us grace. And we make sure to fill our children with all kinds of stories about God's grace so that we can nail the gospel story into their hearts, right? Now, practically speaking, 
This means we have to remember and learn to share maybe our own testimonies about how God changed us and saved us from our sins. Tell that story to them. Or maybe it can be just as simple as telling your children about stories of how God answered prayers or how God is working in someone's life, right? Use all kinds of stories. And, you know, even as we hold the Lord's Supper, that's a way of remembering and retelling ourselves the story of the gospel to our hearts, right? The point here is we are the chief storytellers of our family. And we have to use all sorts of ways. There are different ways that each person does to tell the story, but we find ways to nail the gospel story to the hearts of our children so that they learn and they're transformed and they're melted by the love of God so that they themselves may love the Lord their God with every fiber of their being and to obey His commands. We tell stories to our children and we tell stories even to ourselves because we need it just as much as they do. We need to tell ourselves the gospel story in different ways until it nails our hearts because that's where we get the strength and the sustenance that we need to keep obeying God ourselves. And as we tell that story, as we nail those stories to our hearts, that's where God comes in and whispers to us by His Spirit. And He says, My son, my daughter, this is why you obey me. It's because I came in blood to save you from judgment and sin. That's why you can trust me, my son. That's why you can come to me, my son. I want what is good for you. This is for your good and my glory. That's why you obey my son. That's why you can keep on being a parent who does their best to be a minister, to be an educator, to be a storyteller. Just do your best, my son, my daughter. Just do it faithfully. Work together with other believers and then pray like mad and surrender it to me. Because it's not about my perfect obedience as a parent. It's about His perfect grace for us. And that's the story we tell ourselves and to our children. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you hoping that we are humbled, hoping that we are truly repentant, hoping, Lord, that we would truly seek to be faithful to you all the days of our lives. Lord, change our hearts and change the hearts of our children. Teach us, Lord, and direct our ways so that we can learn how to be better ministers, how to be better educators, how to be better storytellers in our families. Lord God, these all sound overwhelming, but we come to lay down that burden and to acknowledge that you are God, not us. That you will change our children, not us. And we will depend on your grace to do so. Father, help us do this. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our hearts so that we may be faithful to you as we seek to be good parents, as we seek to cultivate the love of God 
in our families. Help us, O Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, by whose blood we're saved. In his name, we say amen. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I hope this enriches our family life as we go through this week. God bless you.